I've also learned to be much more down to earth. I don't quote theologians and I don't, uh, you know, use Greek and I don't say or do things that might give the congregation the impression that, you know, I'm far more educated than they are and they won't understand a word I have to say. You know, to me, that's that's just not communicating. So I've, I've become simpler, I think, as I've got older and and also less concerned with saying everything that there is to say uh, in, a, in a particular sermon, because that's uh, always a problem, and especially with students that I mentor now. Uh, you know, they're, they're very concerned not to leave anything out. And I always say, well, don't worry too much about that. Uh, you can always come back another time. But ma- make sure that what you do say is understood and, and that you communicate. Hi, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 198. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and the voice that you just heard is that of Dr. Gerald Bray. Now, you heard him say that when he speaks, he tries not to give the impression that he's far more educated than the people that he's speaking to. But the truth is... Dr. Bray is probably one of the most educated people that I've ever spoken to in all of my life. Uh, Dr. Bray is a theologian, an ecclesiastical historian, and an ordained priest in the Church of England. He also is a fluent speaker of nine languages, English, Spanish, French, Italian, Portuguese, German, Dutch, Greek, and Russian. Uh, He is a prolific author with dozens of titles to his name. Uh, Personally speaking, his systematic theology entitled God is Love has been one of my go-tos ever since it was published in 2012. And so I was really excited to get a chance to, to speak to him personally for this podcast. And we're actually partnering with our friends at Lexham Press to give away some copies of one of his most recent books. Uh, The book is entitled Preaching the Word with John Chrysostom and is part of their Lived Theology series. And it's a good one. And you're able to enter to to win a copy of it um, by following and connecting with us and Lexham Press on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can find us online and enter the contest. Details are going to be on our social media as well as on Lexham Press's social media. And you've got to enter by the 6th of December, 2021. I don't know when you're listening to this episode. Maybe it's uh, uh, decades in the future. But if you're listening to this episode on the week that it came out, you've got to enter right away. The offer ends December 6th. And so as you're listening to this conversation, uh, make sure that you find Expositors Collective and Lexham Press on social media. Follow both accounts, like the post, tag your friends, and then you'll be entered to win a print copy of Preaching the Word with John Chrysostom by today's guest, Dr. Gerald Bray. So I hope that this giveaway, I hope that this episode, I hope that all that we do at Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Okay, here's today's episode. (laughs) 
Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective podcast. I am thrilled to be speaking with the uh, Reverend Dr. Gerald Bray. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> very well. Thank you very much. Does <laughs> uh, a pregnant pause, or I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to answer. Yes. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's a great pleasure to be with you. Uh, um, wow. Yeah, you really know how to build some anticipation. So, um, well, yeah, Dr. Bray. Um, uh, yeah. So the first question that we ask um, nearly every guest is um, if you if you can like remember your first sermon or if you could bring us into the first time that you opened God's word in, in public, uh, do you have a story for us? Well, uh, I can't remember my actual first sermon because that's going back about half a century now. Um, you know, and I, when I preached it, I wasn't planning to, um, talk about it 50 years later. Uh, so I, I don't really remember but uh, I do remember very much the, the, the kind of training that I had um, in, in preaching. And um, it was very much the school of Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, uh, of whom you will, will have heard, uh, the, the kind of um, pastoral, very much pastoral preaching, going expository, uh, you know, going through um, the text of Scripture verse by verse, but also very concerned to apply it to the pastoral needs of of, uh, of the hearers. Um, so that's something that, uh, you know, would, would go back really to my early uh, preaching days uh, and, has really, and has stuck with me, um, you know, to, uh, until now. I mean, I'm always very concerned um, to relate whatever text it is I'm preaching uh, on um, to the people I'm actually speaking to. Okay. And uh, where where was that training? I mean, when you speak about training, is it, did you get kind of mentored by somebody or is this in a classical sense? Yes, that's right. Okay. I, I mean, I, I, I trained in Cambridge um, and uh, most of what I learned about preaching, I learned uh, from the minister of my home church, um, who was a Welshman and, uh, and a great friend of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and very much in that circle. Um, and so I, I, you know, he, he taught me most of what I know. That is, that is great. You know, we, a lot of the people, even from my own tradition would be kind of, kind of more, more, more low churchmen. I, I hate to say it in, in your presence, <laughs> but a lot of it is through these, these mentorships, um, these, um, yeah, relational connections. And so that you're this, you get kind of both streams with the Cambridge education and your own local pastor in, investing in you, and who was probably invested in by by somebody else as well. Oh, oh, undoubtedly, yes, yes, that's right. Um, and I learned a great deal there, and it stayed with me. Uh, that's that's great. Well, the kind of the follow on question from there is, I mean, over the these five decades since that first sermon uh, up until now, um, I know that you've you know you've handled God's word in, in a variety of contexts. But but thinking of the the preaching act, um, how have you like grown or progressed in these past fifty years? Well, I think I, I've I've learned to be shorter uh, than I initially was because. Uh, in my early days, I preached 
uh, quite lengthy sermons, yeah. uh, you know, 30 to 50 minutes uh, and so on. Uh, I still do preach uh, that, that sort of uh, time, I suppose, but, um, or le- well, less so. I mean, maybe half an hour at the most now. Um, and I've learned to do that. I've also learned to um, be much more down to earth. Uh, I don't uh, I don't quote theologians, and I don't, uh, you know, use Greek, and I don't uh, do th- or say or do things that might uh, give the congregation the impression that, um, you know, I'm far more educated than they are, and they won't understand a word I have to say. Um, uh, you know, to me, that's that's just not communicating. So I've, I've become simpler, I think, and uh, as I've got older, and um, and also less concerned with saying everything that there is to say uh, in, a, in a particular sermon, because that's uh, always a problem, and especially with students that I mentor now. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're very concerned not to leave anything out, and I always say, well, um, don't worry too much about that. Uh, you can always come back another time, um, but m- make sure that what you do say uh, is understood and, and that you communicate. Um, so that's really, uh, I suppose, what I've learned, uh, if I put it in general terms, um, over the years. I mean, I should say, of course, that I, I don't preach on a regular basis or, or haven't done for, for, for a long time. So, um, I mean, most of what I do is, is lecturing in, in a, a college or university context, um, although my, many of my students say that my lectures turn into sermons. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's an ingredient of that. There's an element of that uh, in it. Um, but I'm not, I'm not really uh, your normal sort of, you know, parish preacher. Right. And I, I might comment and say it's probably a lot better if your lectures start to sound like sermons than if your sermons start to sound like lectures. <laughs> Well, that's right. Yes, that's uh, that's very true. Yes. And, um, uh, you know, but I tried to keep the two things together. Right. Yeah. Because, of course, there is when when a preacher gets up to preach, there is like a didactic like you are teaching content to people. However, oh, yes. if it's only a, an interesting lesson, then, mm-hmm. then that is. Um, yeah, that's that's a real failure. Mm-hmm. Um, what what prompted you to intentionally start shortening your sermons um was was that like an, a conversation you had with somebody or did you just notice people lo- you, losing people after a certain minute mark uh well as I, it wasn't a conversation with anybody um i don't know that i was particularly bothered about losing people uh it was just more in my own preparation and self i had i had more to say about less um you know, I mean, and go into something more more deeply. Um, then I realized that uh, the difficulty then is that you end up repeating yourself. I mean, if I don't know if you've ever read Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermons, but, um, you know, as one person said to me, if, if you don't get it the first time, don't worry, because he'll repeat himself at least five times before he comes to the end. Right. And, um, and, and that sort of, you know, rang bells with me and I thought, well, I don't want to do that. Um, a certain amount of repetition is, is important and necessary, uh, but, but you know, don't overdo it. 
And uh, I think if I've repeated myself three times, it's time to stop. Uh, <laughs> you know, so that's that's tended to make things a bit shorter over time. Yeah. Well, a lot of yeah, younger or or newer Bible teachers, sometimes I was going to say that we, but I realize I'm at the stage of my life where I need to start saying they. <laughs> I'm, yes. I don't know if I count as a as a younger nor newer Bible teacher anymore. But I recall when I was younger that a long sermon almost felt like a badge of honor that you were. Um, such a, a deep lover of God and student of his word that you're able to preach for 50 minutes on something. Um, when in reality, looking back, realizing that's not serving the people very well. And how how honoring is it to God's word if you if you essentially bore people to death with it by just going on and on, um, either trying to cram too many things or saying those things over and over and over again. Yeah, well, that's right. And I, I think also when you're young and starting out, um, you 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 really want to do a good job, you know. You want, and you're very conscious of this. And uh, if you've forgotten something or left something out, um, you know, somebody might notice and um, and pick you up on it and say, "Well, you didn't say anything about X thing or Y thing." Um, but in actual fact, most people listening to sermons don't do that. Um, you know, they're not taking notes or, or analyzing what you're saying. They're just listening and, and, and hoping that something will sink in. So you, you, you get over that stage, I think, and, and just say, well, uh, you know, I, I just want to tell you this or that. And I think what matters to me, at least, is um, what you say has to come from the heart. If it doesn't come from the heart, it's not worth saying, um, because that's what people pick up. Um, you know, even if they don't really grasp the the the, the uh, meaning of, of 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 what you've said, um, they they know if it's coming from you and and you know, it's genuine conviction, um, and and they trust you. I think that's very very important to see that they 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 have a relationship with the preacher, uh, and and realize that the preacher yes is 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 sharing what he really believes. Uh, uh, and so on, uh, you know, with you. And, uh, of course, I always preach my sermons to myself, first of all. And, you know, that's that's the most important thing. Um, and then it's remarkable what people pick up, because, of course, you don't know where they stand spiritually uh, or what's going on in their minds. Um, but, and something you say might, might trigger a reaction in them, um, that you wouldn't expect, uh, you know. And um, I mean, I never forget one time when I was pre- when I was young and preaching in the church, and uh, a woman came up afterwards and said she wanted me to go and speak to a friend of hers about death. And I said, "Well, I, you know, I'm happy to do that, but why did you, you know, pick?" And she said, "Well, it was from your sermon this morning." And I said, "Well, I didn't say anything about death in the sermon." And um, she said, no, she said, but you sound like the kind of person who means what you say. And, uh, you know, it, it, it would convince her, it would, you know, it would communicate to her. So I, I realized from that remark that you know, that's what she picked up. I mean, not what I was actually saying. Um, but when she wanted to know something or wanted to talk about a particular subject, uh, she was prepared to ask about it and, and thought that I would be able to, to communicate. Um, you know, and, and 
I've, that's always stayed with me to, 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 to come across as convincing. Um, uh, and then people will pick you up where you, where they are. Um, uh, you know, and, and that has to be because, uh, you, well, you know yourself. I mean, you, you can't force other people to, to uh, be somewhere spiritually where they're not. <laughs> you just have sure. to deal with them as they are, where they are. And sometimes I think preachers are, get, get a bit depressed because they're, they're astonished that, you know, people in the congregation um, are, uh, are, are thinking the kind of things that they think. Um, it, it, it comes as a surprise. Um, I mean, a few years ago, I was preaching in my home church um, on the question of forgiveness. And uh, a, a woman in our church, whom I know very well and have known for a long, know, 40 years um, at least, and who's a, a very fine person, um, came up to me afterwards and said, I didn't agree with you. And of course, you, you know, that how many people do that after mm. a sermon? It, it, actually disagree so I, I was quite intrigued I said what, what's the problem and she said well you talked about forgiveness and I said yes and, and she said well she said I don't know that I can be forgiven she said if you knew some of the things that I've done in my life um, you know that I can't forgive myself for um, I, I, you know I just can't understand this idea of forgiveness and of course, part of me was thinking, my goodness, you know, she's been sitting and hearing the gospel for a generation, and this aspect had never really sunk in. Um, and I just said to her, I said, look, I said, you know, I said, this is why Jesus came. Jesus, of course, God knows you can't forgive yourself. You're not meant to forgive yourself. He came to forgive you for the things that you can't forgive yourself for. And that was the first time that she'd actually got to grips with that particular thing. I mean, she'd heard it, of course, I don't know how many hundreds of times, um, but it hadn't sunk in in, in in precisely that way that communicated to her. And that was the moment um, when that happened. And you could just see the burden, you know, fall away. Um, and I think as a preacher, you have to expect that. You can't... you. you you can't sort of turn to the, these people and say, what do you mean you don't know this? I've been preaching it for years. <laughs> you, 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 just, you just have to deal with, with what comes. Um, and looking back on that, you know, I'm grateful to God that, that he used that occasion, um, uh, you know, to bring that out. Um, and, um, and that's something I think we, we need to remember too, that, uh, you know, people are at very different stages, and um, uh, and so on. And there's certain things that uh, they may have not really re seriously reflected on. They may have heard for many many years, and they may know in their heads uh, these things, but it just hasn't hit them in a particular way. Um, and you have to be prepared for that. Yeah, and so yeah. Connecting back to a few moments ago, talking about the the impulse that preachers might feel to to say everything or to get everything out there, is it kind of connected with that idea of like, well, I need to 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 communicate all that I know to this person and the whole plan of salvation, you know, over you know, so that this person will get it. But essentially, mm -hmm. this this friend of yours has has heard it so many different times, but just mm -hmm. needs to hear bit by bit, incrementally, and 
you know, we plant and someone else waters and God, God brings the increase. Well, that's right. And, and, you know, it's some aspect of it. I mean, again, if I can go back to Martin Lloyd-Jones and his book, Spiritual Depression, which I, I recommend to anybody, especially preachers, to read. Um, I'm going to read it tomorrow, he, actually. <laughs> I pulled it off my bookshelf. I'm preaching on Psalm 42 this this coming Sunday. And so I said, I need to revisit that book. So, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things he says, and it's very interesting, he says that it's an often the problems that people have, you know, the past, the, the, the spiritual difficulties that people encounter is because there's something about the gospel message that they haven't properly understood. Now, it may be that it's something that they've never been told, uh, but it may also be something that they've been told, but they've never really uh, absorbed. Um, and he said the, the, the duty, he said, of the preacher and, of course, of the counselor is to figure out what that is. Yeah, the the problem is people aren't aren't truly believing what they've heard. Is that? Uh, well, no, it may not be that they're not tr- truly believing. It's it's hard to put it like that because, um, you know, you're thinking in terms of of orthodoxy and heresy and that kind of thing. It's not that. I think it's just uh, there's some dimension of the message that hasn't sunk in, um, uh, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and I think as, as Christians, and especially as evangelical Christians, um, you know, we, we, we know the lingo, we know the language, we know what to say. Yeah. And it, it means something to us, especially if you're a preacher, you, you, you know, you learn how it all fits together and, and, and all the rest of it. Um, but forgetting that there are people, I'm not saying everybody, but, you know, there are certainly people uh, in congregations, people out there who, for one reason or another, either don't have that kind of mind, um, you know, that sort of thinks in a systematic and coherent way, um, or, uh, you know, they, they just, it, it's, it's something that has passed them by. Um, and it's rather like, you know, if you're, you're going down the street uh, uh, in a, a town or, that you know very well, and then suddenly one day you, you, you see something that's been there for years, but you've never noticed it. Um, you, you know, and it sort of, you, you, it startles you and you think, oh, I, I, you know, I've, I, I've gone down this street, I don't know how many years, um, but I never really stopped to look at this thing or, or you know, uh, and then you see it in a, in a, in a new way. Um, and I think it's that sort of thing. Um, and, and of course, it's true of all of us. I mean, you know, I read the Bible, I mean, uh, every day and, um, uh, and the Psalter through once a month and so on. But I'm always picking up things um, that, of course, I've read a thousand times, but I haven't really meditated on it or I haven't really thought of what the implications of that are. Um, so I'm learning. I mean, I learn uh, spiritually, uh, you know, every day as I read, and um, even things, you know, stories that are quite familiar. Um, uh, there's there's always some dimension or some aspect of it uh, that I may have just taken for granted, and haven't really thought about what it really means um, uh, and how significant it is. Um, I mean, I think one of the things I've discovered in preaching is that. If I'm if I'm called to preach in a place that, uh, you know, I don't normally preach in, which actually does happen quite a lot, 
Um, I tend to take well-known things. I'll preach on the Lord's Prayer or I'll preach on Psalm 23 or something like this because I assume that everyone in the congregation, well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of the people in the congregation will know those things. Yeah, it's a safe bet. Um, But probably they haven't heard any sermons on them, Um, you know, from their regular pastor. Um, because the regular pastor might be preaching through Romans or Ephesians or doing whatever he's doing. But, you know, those those things, familiar uh, things, they may not have ever heard a sermon on. But I, working a, 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 from now, it's coming from outside uh, and doing a sort of one-off thing, um, if I do that, if I preach, say, on the Lord's Prayer, I'm probably not interrupting the, 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 the regular pastor or repeating what he's been saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm saying something that the congregation uh, is, knows, they're familiar with and, and they relate to, but have probably not reflected on, um, uh, you know, it, 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 it very deeply. So you can go quite, you can go deeper, if you like, with strangers, um, that people you don't know, uh, but nevertheless, um uh, you, you know, open open the word of God to them, um, and uh, and go into things because those particular things they are familiar with, um, and so that's that that's something I recommend to people. You know, if you if you, if you get asked to preach in a church where you, you don't normally go, um, you 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 can often get further by by saying by preaching on a text that everybody's familiar with. Right. I, I had to, I kind of chuckled as you said that you, you would preach on a familiar passage like Psalm 23 of the Lord's Prayer, um, because I, I just preached on Psalm 23 um, two weeks ago. And I did so with like fear and trembling because I was thinking like, oh, Psalm 23, this is everyone's favorite. You know, I have to to bring something forward that that no one's ever said or heard about Psalm 23 before. And my wife gave me a good talking to. And she says, you know, Mike, you just got to read the words, you know, like, and just like press home those central truths. And, and that's what God's people need to hear. They don't need something new or, or novel, um, from this well-loved passage. And, uh, and she's right. She's often right. And, um, and then also too, I was reflecting or thinking about, you know, when's the last time my church has heard a sermon on Psalm 23. And I was thinking, you know, it's like, well, I did it at that funeral about four or five years ago. And not even everybody was there at that funeral. So there's this assumption, oh, everybody knows this or everyone's heard this. But it's like, well, actually about a portion of my congregation heard it five years ago. <laughs> Therefore, yeah. it's okay to do it again. And, you know, they're well-beloved Psalms for a reason. And so anyway, I kind of... Oh, that's right. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Psalm 23 and you mentioned the funeral. I mean, one of the lines in Psalm 23 is, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Um, that particular line uh, needs to be brought out. Yeah. You know, because we're always walking, well, not always, but very often walking through the valley of the shadow of death. What is this? Are you facing this in your own life? And that's an aspect of that psalm which uh, is not usually stressed. Um, you know, it's kind of elided over and it's there, but, you know, you pass on. Um, and, and not to fear evil, you know, to, to, uh, to face the future with confidence and, 
Um, and a lot of people, especially now, I mean, especially with COVID and all that, um, I mean, it's very relevant. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned when, when you're a guest speaker, you like to, to, to do this. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Dr. Bray, a, a couple of days ago, I came across this excellent lecture that you did um, on the Beeson Divinity School YouTube channel, um, specifically focusing on that, on like what to do when you're a guest preacher somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I listened to it. It'll be in the show notes. Um, and I totally think that everyone listening to this podcast should watch that next because it's just brilliant about sermon construction and delivery. But specifically, you were saying that as a guest speaker, you should probably do a psalm. Uh, do, right. you, do you remember that? And why did you suggest yes. that guest speakers should do psalms? Well, uh, yes, I, I said it's, it's a very good place to start um, f- for several reasons. First of all, the psalms cover the whole range of human experience. Um, you know, they're, they're very rich um, theologically, um, and uh, you can get a lot out of a psalm. The other thing is they're self-contained. Um, you know, I mean, if you if you preach on, say, Romans chapter 5 or something like that, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but, if, you know, if you're a guest preacher, um, you don't really know what to do because do you, do you spend the first 10 minutes explaining what the first four chapters of Romans are like and you know uh, and you you know what I mean you've got to put it in context and 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 uh, it, it, it takes time um, I'm talking now about being a guest not you know not preaching through a series in your own church but you're going somewhere strange and 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 you don't know what they're doing and you, but the, again the likelihood is uh, that the the congregation you're going to speak to, will not have heard a sermon on a particular psalm, um, you know, because it, it's it's difficult to do a series on the psalms. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it right now. It's hard. You are. <laughs> it is I mean, hard, yeah. <laughs> and they're different. You see, they're yeah. all different. So you, you, can, you can pick up a psalm, Psalm 19 or Psalm 93 or whatever it is, um, fairly confident that, you know, the, the people haven't heard anything about this recently. Um, and treat it as a as a unit, as something which is you know self-contained in in its text, and and not worry about you know you say if you're preaching on Psalm 93, you don't have to explain what Psalm 92 is all about right. or Psalm 94, right. uh, because that's not relevant really. <laughs> you know you can just concentrate on that on that one, um, and of course you can choose the length too. You can you can preach on you know, Psalm 119, if you feel you have to, um, or uh, Psalm 117, you know, with its two or three verses. Yeah. And uh, depending on the uh, on, on the, the, the place you are and the time you have and so on. So there's a tremendous uh, uh, variety there, a lot of options. And, of course, you can always bring in um, the gospel and, and so, you know, for Psalm 22 or something like that. Um, I mean, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Uh, I mean, there, there are lots of, 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 of possibilities. Um, and uh, I just recommend to students, like, you know, if, if you don't know what to do, that's a good place to begin looking. Um, because, you know, people will invite you to speak and they'll say, of course, say what you like, um, which 
it sounds good. It's very nice, but but it leaves you wondering, well, where do I start? Um, and so, you know, in that way, I would say that's a good uh, a good thing. Of course, another th- uh, thing I do sometimes um, uh, is I'll I'll, I'll take a, a short book of the Bible. I'll take you know the the the, the shorter epistles of John, the, the second and third John, or um, Philemon or Obadiah or something like that. That you can, you know, you can. That again, probably most people have never heard anything yeah. on uncharted territory. Um, yeah, but and but you can you can cover them, uh, you know, in one session, um, uh, without straggling, you know, without leaving people wondering what you're doing. So um, uh, that's my advice to people who are asked to do something as a guest and. Um, I say, well, I can do that. I can talk about that because that's mainly what I do. Um, I mean, it's, well, I, I can't think when I last preached a sermon series. I have done that. Um, but it, it's a long time, um, you know, since I've, been, since I've been in a position to be able to do that, um, you know, preaching regularly in the church. Um, yeah, I find that open-ended you know, preach on whatever you like, that could be mildly um, petrifying or, you know, paralyzing. It's like, well, this, well the, yes. the Bible is a big book. What do you want me to to, to do? You know, I, I, yeah, I prefer, yeah. and I, I've been honored, I guess, when people say, hey, listen, we're doing a series through Hebrews. Could you do, you know, chapter six? Although that one's tricky. You know, but when they just say, hey, we're doing this series, can you, can you just slot in? And I, I appreciate the specificity. Yeah. Yes. That's much. That's much more helpful, really, if in in those circumstances. And I mean, that happens to me also. You know, that someone will will say, "Well, we're doing a series," and uh, you know, put me in a particular place, um, and and that's fine. I mean, uh, you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't interrupt what's going on if I if if I know that I'm expected to follow a pattern. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about this at length, but I kind of realize we're supposed to be talking about John Chrysostom. <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about patristics. Um, and so because there's this incredible lecture that's already there on YouTube, I'm just going to point our listeners towards that if you want to hear more on this. Mm-hmm. But so why don't you tell us about um, like, why do you think that contemporary preachers in, in our day should be like learning from early church leaders? What What value is it? And then maybe even specifically uh, John Chrysostom. Well, uh, I think what you can learn from John, particularly, um, he's one of the very few people um, from the early church who preached expository sermons in in a series. Um, uh, and no, no one-off psalms for him. <laughs> n- no, well, but he but he but he was preaching regularly in a church. You yeah. see, I mean, he had a congregation and. And his sermons have survived. I mean, he's certainly not the only person who did that kind of thing, um, but he's he's one of the few whose um, uh, whose sermon series uh, have been preserved. And uh, I mean, we have ninety sermons from him on Matthew, for instance. You know, Matthew's Gospel, eighty-eight on John's Gospel. Uh, I mean, this is this is quite a legacy. Uh, uh, you know, I think there's thirty-two on Romans or something like that. So. Um, uh, you know, you have very extensive sermons on 
uh, on portions of scripture and learning um, the art of expository preaching in a continuous series um, uh, and seeing how someone else has done it, um, you know, I think is very, is very useful. Um, I think also what you see in, in John is the, the, the threefold pattern, uh, which I may have mentioned in my lecture, I can't remember now, but um, you have exegesis, you know, what the text actually says. That's right. Yeah. Exposition, what it means in the, you know, over script over the the whole counsel of God, the scriptures as a whole, uh, the doctrine, and then application. Uh, you know, how how do we how do we apply this in our own circumstances today? Now, if you if you look at it like that, theoretically, um, John has a great deal to say to us. Um, he was a favorite with with the reformers. I mean, Luther and Calvin and them, they, they loved John Chrysostom. Right? He was their favorite father um, for this reason, um, you know, because he, he, he structured his, his sermons and his teaching in that way. Now, when you look at the detail, of course, and, uh, and this is where we, we have to be careful today because, unfortunately, some people... Um, go back to the early church and, and become patristic fundamentalists, you know, they, they, and that's no good. Um, but, I mean, the weaknesses, uh, the exegesis, Don's exegesis is compromised. I wouldn't say it's necessarily bad always, but it's compromised by the fact that um, he didn't know the original, well, he knew Greek, of course, uh, he, it, it, was, it was his mother tongue, but he didn't know Hebrew, so uh, he wasn't reading the Old Testament, uh, uh, you know, in Hebrew. It was in Greek translation, which is sometimes not not correct. Um, and I suppose the the surprising thing uh, from our point of view is that he never saw any need to learn Hebrew. Um, uh, you, you know, it didn't bother him that he didn't know the original. Um, uh, so that's something where our Today, our, our approach would be quite different. Um, exposition, again, um, he did tend to sort of fall into allegory of uh, you know, one kind or another. Um, he wasn't uh, a major allegorizer uh, in the way that some of the fathers yeah, were. Yeah, not as much but, as some. No, he wasn't, no. But, um, but you know, he, did, he, he didn't always in, interpret uh, uh, the text. I mean, the obvious example um, in, in the creation narrative, and creation was very important to the fathers. Um, he believed that uh, the sexual intercourse did not begin until after the fall, and that in the Garden of Eden, um, Adam and Eve uh, lived uh, lived as, as celibates. Now, he believed that, he thought that, because... Uh, in his own day, um, there was a sort of rising tide of monasticism and people seeking celibacy, celibate, you know, uh, and solitary life in the desert and so on. Um, and so he he just took his, uh, his own situation. He did this himself and, um, and applied it to the Garden of Eden. But if you look at the Garden of Eden, uh, I mean, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, which is not very easy to do if you're a celibate. So 
uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really um, work. You see what I mean? Even on the basis of the text, I mean, you don't you don't have to know Hebrew to re- figure that out. <laughs> um, and but John just ignored that because you know he imposed his own theological perspective. Um, uh, so you're saying you're saying it's possible for a preacher to be influenced by their culture and cause oh, them to yes. see to read things into the Bible that aren't actually there. Well, that's right. Aren't we glad right. that people don't do that anymore? <laughs> aren't we glad <laughs> that that's done and dusted? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you live in the United States, that's a kind of daily occurrence. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, people people are doing this all the time, but people are doing this all the time, and and this is something that. We, we have to be very careful about, um, you know. Um, I mean, today, I, you, you could say people have gone to the other extreme. You see that, um, uh, again, particularly in evangelical circles, celibacy is not particularly valued uh, or mm. honored, mm. Um, even though, uh, you know, Jesus was celibate, right. the Apostle Paul was celibate, and, and the Apostle Paul recommended it. Um, and, you know, a lot of preachers today, if you if, or pastors, evangelical pastors, if you bring this up, um, they'll kind of pass over it and with an embarrassed silence or something. You know, they don't really know what to. What yeah, to if make even or or even mock it. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, I mean, which is going the other way. You see, so we're by no means innocent in our generation, um, and I think you, you know, reading somebody like John. Um, it's a corrective here because you see how uh, how he misunderstood or he he, he went the, to the other extreme, right? Um, and uh, you know we do of course disagree with that. Um, I think also his approach to Judaism uh, was much more negative uh, than we would be comfortable with today. Um, which is not to say that you accept Judaism, you know, as an alternative to Christianity or anything like that. But, um, I mean, we we are much more sensitive, uh, I think, to the centuries of, of persecution um, uh, of, of Jews. And, uh, and so are careful about what we say, um, but also uh, more aware of the, the essential Jewishness of, of the New Testament. Uh, Jesus and the disciples and so on that you know that's the context in which they they were operating because John had no historic no real historical awareness um I mean he you know he didn't think that that, that Jesus lived in a different world from the world that he lived in um and uh, in some ways you can see why because uh, the Roman Empire was still in existence. Um, the Greek language was still the common language of the East. So in, in many ways, the, you know, things hadn't changed all that much. Um, but uh, there was no temple, there were no, there were no Pharisees, all the, the you know, the, 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 the sort of culture of, of Palestine that you read about in the Gospels had disappeared. But John doesn't really seem to be aware of that, um, uh, you know, or, or take it very seriously. Um, and he, he treats the Jews of his own time, um, you know, as if they're Annas and Caiaphas and people like this. So, I mean, it's a different, uh, a, a different thing. 
So that that's the problem. But what we can learn from him, and, and yeah, and, yeah, <laughs> because because he's this great model for us in many ways. And yeah, that's right. But I yeah, think, let's give him a fair shake. What else? Can yeah, we, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Absolutely. No, the the, the great thing is that um, he saw the need to meet people where they were. Okay. Um, you know, and you see this, for instance, in the way he interprets the wise men, who, um, you know, who come to Jesus. Uh, to see the baby Jesus. And, of course, the question uh, that, that is posed for John, and indeed could still be posed today, is um, what do you mean the wise men found you know, Jesus by looking at a star? Um, I mean, they were astrologers. You know, is this some kind of justification for astrology? And, uh, and John said, no, no, you know, it's nothing to do with that. Uh, and... It's a, well, why did God use this? Uh, you know, what, what was going on? And, and John said, well, if you're going to communicate with people, if you're going to reach people, you have to reach them where they are. Hmm. Um, as if there was no point expecting the wise men of Babylon to have read the Bible because they didn't know about that. Um, you know, so somehow or other, their interest had to be tweaked by, by something that they would appreciate. Uh, and and the star was the thing. Um, but then, of course, he also goes on to say that the star did not, in fact, lead um, uh, lead the wise men to Jesus unaided, because what, what happened was the wise men went to Jerusalem, asked Herod, figured that Herod would know what was going on. Herod sends to the temple, gets the, the rabbis or whatever, the priests to come out and they point to the scriptures. And in the end, it is the scriptures that say it's in Bethlehem, you know, so the, the wise men are directed to the scriptures. Um, and of course, the other side was that uh, they, they paid a heavy price for, for, uh, for their astrology because, um, uh, you know, they, when they found the baby Jesus, then they were told to go home by another way not to go back to Herod. Um, but Herod ordered all the babies in Bethlehem to be put to death. So, uh, I mean, it ended in tragedy in a way, um, uh, you know, and, and John's messages of, well, that's what's going to happen if you get mixed up with astrology. So, he, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll say that, um, yes, I mean, God started off on that, you know, he, he, he met people in that way, but he had to move them on to somewhere else. And, and this is a constant. You see, he, John was in love with the Apostle Paul. I mean, he thought Paul was just the greatest thing out, you know. And um, uh, he really did. And, and, and um, to the point of exaggeration, uh, I mean, for example, he said that, you know, uh, Paul was a star athlete. Well, I don't think anybody would say this. Uh, because he <laughs> referenced wrestling once or twice? Is that it? Well, you see, this is it. I mean, no, it's just that uh, because John realized that athletics requires a lot of training, dedication, uh -huh. commitment, and all this, you see. And so Paul was trained, and he was dedicated, and he was committed. Oh, I see. And okay. The, okay. Fact, the fact that uh, that you can't really imagine Paul as any sort of athlete. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, no, no, that's not how my, just, my mind works. Yeah. That, that's just not, you know, or, uh, or he calls him the trumpet, you see, the, uh, of, of the gospel. And, 
uh, and so on. So he, he, he overdoes it. I mean, he exaggerates. But the reason he does this is he sees Paul as somebody who is preeminently concerned with people. And you see, he reads the, the epistles, the Pauline epistles, as what we would call pastoral counseling. Um, whereas today, people who read the epistles tend to think of it as systematic theology. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you're, you're reading the doctrine. Well, and John wouldn't deny that. Of course, I mean he he was perfectly orthodox and uh, in all that, but he would say, well, you know, actually Paul is writing to real people in real situations with real problems, and you see this particularly in his long series on Romans. Um, I, mean, I don't know whether you've ever preached through Romans; you probably have, um, but and other people do. But you get to Romans chapter sixteen. And you kind of run out of things to say because it's just this long catalog of people that you don't know anything about. Right. Um, and you don't know, you know, what do you say? Yeah. Uh, whereas John um, has two sermons on chapter 16 and says chapter 16 for him is the climax of the epistle to the Romans, the most important chapter. Why? Because he's dealing with people. Mm, And although John didn't know any more than you or I know about who Tryphena and Tryphosa were and all these, he didn't know, but he did know that they were individuals in the congregation who needed to be spoken to. And, you know, John says, look what a great man this Paul is, Um, you know, because he doesn't just talk about justification by faith and, and Abraham and all that. He talks about you and me. He talks about unknown people. He's he's speaking to to members of the congregation. Um, you know, he he himself knew who they were. Uh, well, that was the thing. You see, he said that even though Paul had never been to Rome um, when he wrote his epistle, he he knew about members of the congregation, and presumably some of them he met elsewhere. Um, and and he was very concerned with them and uh, about them. And every, and John says everything else Paul writes in Romans from chapter one on is basically to help these people. Um, so, you know, he, he sees it like that. He sees it as a, as a, as a letter to a congregation, um, you know, which needs more pastoral counseling, in effect. Um, and, and, of course, the others, I mean, obviously Corinthians and so on, I mean, it's, it's much more obvious uh, there. Um, but that's that's what he says, and I think it's a very valuable corrective to us. Um, you know that we we, we 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 will talk about original sin, and we'll talk about justification by faith, and we'll talk, all these things, which are very true and very important and very necessary. Um, but um, he uh, he puts flesh on the skeleton, if you're on the theological skeleton, if you like, and always in his mind, you know, can you think of, you know, these are people in the church who are trying to wrestle with, you know, what do we do with the Old Testament? What do we do with the, with the Jewish law? And, and um, how do we understand where we belong? I mean, you know, if, if I'm a Gentile and I've come into this group of converted Jewish Christians, um, you know, how do we connect? How do we relate to each other? What do I have to do to be accepted by them? What do they have to do to to accommodate me? 
um, uh, you know, this this sort of thing. And um, always remember that dimension is there, um, you know, through the epistle. And it's not just a theology lesson. It is a theology lesson, but it's a theology lesson rooted in real life. Um, and and that's what... Uh, that, that, that's the great thing about John and the great thing that we can learn from him. Um, you know, that we're talking about real people with, you know, real lives and real issues. Um, and we need to be able to express our theology, not not chuck it out, but express it um, uh, in in a way that's meaningful. And that so often it's because we, we either don't do this or can't do it. We haven't been taught to do it. Um, that our ministry doesn't really go very far because it's not connecting. Yeah. Well, even kind of like thinking back across this conversation, I mean, I, I love at the beginning, you're talking about the, the influence of, of your own pastor who was influenced by, by uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones about like pastoral preaching and connecting to people. And then even talking about your own preaching, how you you want to make it shorter for the purpose of like serving these people. And then as we kind of come to, to to the end with John, like he is eminently like pastoral in his in his communications. You know, like he has a giant brain, um, but and and he uses that to serve his people. Um, and and you know, in let's say the the preaching world or people who listen to podcasts like this, sometimes we might even just think of like, well. The congregation, they're there to listen to us, you know, or they're there so I have somebody to preach to. But it's this its this act of love, you know. Um, uh, Nick Cady speaks about how preaching is an act of love for two, love to God by being faithful to his word and then love to the people by communicating it as, as best as possible. And I'm really just calling out this like pastoral connection. Everything that's come out of your mouth <laughs> has been like pastorally oriented and that's really appreciated and needed today. And Good. yeah, and I'm looking at the clock too. And I kind of, I kind of wish I started asking you questions about the early church earlier, but like everything you've been saying has been so helpful. So personally, I've just benefited from, from every step of this. Um, have you written anything about, about John? Yes. I, well, I've written this little book called Preaching the Word, yes. which um, takes you through uh, different parts of the uh, different things. I mean, it takes you through what John had to say about Genesis, what John had to say about the Gospels, and what John had to say about the Apostle Paul. So um, you know, you get a you 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 get a good sample um, uh, of things. And uh, I would recommend my my little book as a as an introduction. Yeah, I mean, it's that's of course what it's intended to be, um, and. Uh, as one of the people who uh, sponsored it, uh, or you know, wrote a, a little blurb at the front, um, uh, Matthew Barrett from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary says, uh, "Read it on Chrysostom, and then go read Chrysostom for yourself." Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, "Amen" to that. Um, you know, if people pick up this little book, and then it, it, it encourages them to to look for Chrysostom and read him for themselves. Uh, that would be good. Um, I do warn you, though, that the most readily available translations of John Chrysostom were done in the 19th century and in a flowery kind of Victorian English. Um, 
that is almost as difficult to to decipher as the original Greek (laughs) sometimes. Ah. So you may find, uh, you know, it's John really needs to be retranslated um, in into contemporary English, um, uh, you know, because uh, well, because he was he he was a preacher. He spoke the language of the people, the language of the street, um, and not this flowery sort of um, uh, you know rhetoric. Okay. Um, I, I generally come across them in the, the ancient Christian commentary on the New Testament. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yes. Well, yes. And is that is that the it's, it's a little bit flowery now that I think of it. Is that the is that a fresh translation? That, well, that's right. I mean, that's the that's the 19th century translation. Okay. OK, because it comes from probably those 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 quotes are taken from the library of Nicene and, and post Nicene fathers. That Philip Shaft did in, in you know in the nineteenth century, and, and and there were various translators. I mean, I'm not trying to criticize them because they, you know, that's 150 years ago that they were writing. But um, it's just that we don't talk like that now. Sure. Um, you, you know, we've we've moved on. I mean, you can still read it. Oh, uh, and, and I do. It's not. It's not. It's, not, it's yeah. not a foreign language. Yeah. But. Uh, but it might not give you the the flavor of of, of John, um, the, the sense of immediacy, the punchiness that he the evidently had. That's yeah. what, that's what I'm looking for. Yes. Well, that's well, excellent. Well, I mean, so we'll point people towards this, and our friends at Lexham Press are uh, giving away some copies of this book, and so um, on. In just a few moments, you'll hear the the outro where I'll explain more details as to how people can enter into this competition. Um, but I mean. Many of you will enter. Not many of you will win. So you should go buy it. <laughs> and if you go to yeah, lexum.com slash expositors, there's going to be a place where you can get it even at a discounted rate. But um, I read it. I loved it. Uh, it made me want to seek out uh, Dr. Bray for a further conversation to kind of introduce the listeners to um, to John of Antioch or John Chrysostom, if you're unfamiliar with him, and then also to be learning from the kind of pastoral heart and the pastoral preaching um, from uh, Gerald Bray as well. So thank you so much for for your time. It's been a, a delight. And uh, I personally have learned um, from you, from your books, and even from this conversation. So uh, thank you very much for sharing your time with us. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. I hope that uh, this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Thank you. Well, hey, thank you so much. Man, wasn't that great? Um, That man is a gentleman and a scholar in in both senses of the word. And so now that maybe you have heard a bit about John Chrysostom um, for yourself, uh, maybe you're curious or maybe you want to read the book, remember there's a giveaway that's happening this week. So up until the 6th of December, the competition is going on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter. And so make sure that you find us on those social media platforms, that you find Lexum Press, and that you enter because we want you to have a free copy of this book. And if you don't win, we want you to go buy it. <laughs> so go to lexumpress.com expositors, where you can find a link to this book, as well as previous guests that have been authors that have published through Lexum in the past. 
So anyway, thanks so much to Lexum. Thanks so much to Gerald Bray. And thanks so much to you for listening. Listening.